Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, if you uh, received a bulletin this morning, you may have noticed that the title of the message this morning is Ask a Silly Question. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? Have you ever heard the phrase, ask a silly question? Okay, I'm glad to see that some of you have. Does anybody remember what the second part of the phrase is? Get a silly answer. And um, I remember when I was in middle school, I had a favorite silly question, silly answer. And uh, the silly question went something like this. If you're riding your tricycle up a river and the right front wheel falls off, then how many pancakes does it take to shingle your cat's doghouse? And, uh, and the answer was uh, four, because ice cream doesn't have bones. And so, uh, now that we've uh, been educated on uh, silly questions, uh, the reason that I want to talk about a silly question is because the message today, the passage we're looking at, involves a man who came to Jesus and he asked a silly question. And the uh, passage is in Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to begin in verse 16 and we're going to go through the end of the chapter. So Matthew chapter 16, or Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 30. And um, if you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you this morning, there are uh, Bibles in the pew rack in front of you that you are welcome to borrow. Um, If you don't happen to own a Bible, uh, we have some Bibles on the table in the back of the auditorium. And on the way out of the auditorium today, feel free to choose one that you like and take that with you as a gift from the church. We would like everybody uh, in the whole world to own a Bible. And it's not enough just to own a Bible, but we would like you to read it as well. Because, um, you know, having a Bible and not reading it is kind of like having a piece of exercise equipment and never using it. A lot of us do that as well. Um, and uh, it just doesn't do you any good sitting there in the corner and the Bible sitting on the shelf getting dusty doesn't do you any good. But as you read God's word, you're able to get to know him better. Uh, and uh, Lord willing, you've come to the place where you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and become a child of God through faith in him. You can uh, then grow in your relationship in, with Jesus Christ and become more like him. But anyway, Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 30. If you're able, please stand, and I'd like to read this passage in your hearing. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 30. It says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. 
But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, pray you would guide my thoughts and my words and that I would speak the truth clearly. And I pray for each of my brothers and sisters who are gathered here in person or online. And I ask that your Holy Spirit will enlighten the eyes of their hearts, that they will receive spiritual insight and understanding from you as they look into your word. And that as a result, they would become more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask in his name, amen. You may be seated. Well, ask a silly question. The silly question is found right at the beginning in verse 16. It says, now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, unfortunately, many times when we ask a silly question, we don't even realize that our question is silly. And that was the case with this young man. Um, So Jesus tried to help him understand that his question was silly. And so in verse 17, so he, Jesus, said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. 
And so Jesus started out by trying to get the man to reconsider what his idea of goodness was. Now, we happen to know that Jesus is God. John 1, 1, for example, talking about him, says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we know that Jesus is indeed good. But this man was coming to him, and and Jesus is saying, hey, you think I'm just a fallen man uh, like everybody else on the face of the earth, and, and yet you're calling me good. Your idea of good is way too low if you think that fallen people are good. The young man was coming with the idea that, you know, mankind's basically good, and, and we just have to be perfected, and, and Jesus is saying, no, no, mankind is not good. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Uh, All we are like sheep that have gone astray. And so in and of ourselves, uh, none of us are good. So the guy's idea of good is way too low. And uh, then he addresses the idea that there's something this guy can do to earn eternal life. What do I have to do to get eternal life? And and so Jesus says, well, you know, if you want to do something to get eternal life, you have to keep all of the commandments. And uh, that's both simple and impossible. I mean, the idea is very conceptually simple. You know, God laid out some commandments. He told you what's good. Uh, Just do all the things that God has told you to do, and you'll have eternal life. But even though it's conceptually simple, it's impossible because we're not good, and so we don't keep the commandments. And uh, so the commandments serve as a mirror, Uh, You know, you look in the mirror and you see dirt on your face. You don't rub your face against the mirror because the mirror can't take the dirt off. It just shows the fact that your face is dirty. And so uh, we look into the commandments and we say these show God's perfect, holy, righteous standards and I don't measure up. I'm a sinner. And uh, so uh, Jesus is uh, trying to get this man to say, you know, you You've asked a silly question that you think you can do something to earn eternal life. If you wanted to earn eternal life, you'd have to perfectly keep the commandments. Well, in the first part of verse 18, the man tries to find a loophole. So he said to him, which ones? And so the rabbis concluded that there were 613 different commandments in the Torah And the man probably thought, well, you know, 613, that's an awful lot. I'm not sure I can 100% keep all 613, but maybe if we limit it down to just a few, I can keep those and I can earn my way into heaven. And so Jesus kind of humors the man by cutting it down to just six commandments and uh, to help him understand that he can't even keep just a few. And so Jesus said to him, "Um, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, we're not going to talk about all 613. We'll focus on these six 
talk about these. See if you can kind of get some insights about your spiritual need. Well, the man displayed a lack of spiritual insight. Verse 20. The man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. Do I still lack? I was going to say the man displayed a remarkable lack of spiritual insight, but it's really not that remarkable. He displayed a fairly typical lack of spiritual insight. And so he said, oh, good, only six commandments. I've kept all those. I've heard those, and I've done all those things, and I'm, I'm okay. I'm in. And Jesus really could have taken any of these six commandments, and he could have shown the man how he had failed to keep all six of these commandments. Uh, regarding murder, Jesus could have repeated his words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. And in Matthew chapter 5, 21 and 22, he said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Or, um, so, you know, it's not just the outward expression of murder and unjustly taking the life of another person. But it's the inward hate and anger that motivates that outward action that is spiritual murder. And so uh, this man, like all of us, uh, is a spiritual mass murderer. We've all had times when we've been angry and hated people without justification. And as a result, become guilty before God. And uh, he could have done the same thing uh, regarding adultery. For example, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, he says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so it's not just the physical act of having illicit relationships with someone else, but it's the lust in the heart that motivates those illicit acts. That is the root and the foundation of that sin. And so uh, Jesus could have addressed that, but Jesus skips all five of the first commandments he mentioned, and he focuses on the one sin that the man most treasures, the one that really has first place in his heart, the thing that is the idol that he worships instead of God. And so in verse 21, Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Because we know that Jesus, as he listed six commandments for the man to follow as examples that he did not follow them, that one of those was love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so, you know, if you were poor, you would want someone to help you. 
And so if you love these poor people as you love yourself, then help them. Sell what you have and give it to them. And then come follow me. The thing that the young man needed the most. And so he challenges the man to show that he loves his neighbor by giving to them. But even if the young man had sold everything and given it to the poor, that wouldn't have been enough to earn his way into heaven. That was just showing the young man the problem that he had in his heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 3, God's word says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. And so it wasn't just the external act of giving everything he had to the poor, but he needed to genuinely have a love for other people, a love that can only come from God alone. And so in the second part of verse 21, then Jesus says, and come, follow me. Because this focuses on what the man truly needed. There was no good thing the man could do to earn eternal life. What that man needed was a relationship with Jesus Christ. This man had sinned, the wages of sin were death, he was separated from God, and uh, there was nothing that he could do to be reconciled to God. And he was lost without hope or without help in this world, but Jesus could save this man. And so he invited the man to come to him and be saved. But the man was not yet ready to be saved. And so in verse 22 it says, but when the young man heard this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And so the wealth of this young man was like a golden chain around his neck that held him prisoner. And he was bound by his own wealth. And he could not escape it because he loved his wealth more than he loved God. And so it's like, well, you know, I can have eternal life or I can have my wealth. Eternal life or my wealth. I'm going to keep my wealth. I'd rather have my wealth than have eternal life. This is the same challenge that all of us face. In verses 23 and 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I wonder if we have a child under 10 years of age here this morning who is brave enough to come up here on stage and assist me. Yes, Elsie, please come and join me. Thank you. Okay, Elsie. Can you reach into that bag and pull out what we have there? Okay. We have a rather small camel. And 
I brought along a relatively large needle. I actually brought two relatively large needles, but we'll only need one. Can we get the camel through the needle? Through that hole right there? Maybe the tail, but not the rest of it. So, no, we can't get the camel through the needle. Thank you for your help. You can keep the camel. Good job, Elsie. Okay, so Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And um, it's impossible. Humanly speaking, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, the problem that we face is by the standards of history and by the standards of the world today, every single one of us that is in this auditorium this morning is rich. Let's imagine that we have a time warp and that it enables Solomon in all of his glory to come visit you in your home. And so it's a hot day in Israel about 950 BC and Solomon enters the time warp and he ends up on your doorstep on a hot day in Michigan in 2023. Uh, And uh, when Solomon arrives, he's not feeling very well because he has a kidney stone and he's got a toothache. And so you take Solomon and you put him in your air-conditioned car and you drive him to ER. And your wonderful air-conditioned car is better than any chariot that he's ever been in. And you take him to ER and you go in and they treat him, they put an IV in his arm and they give him a whole bunch of fluids to help push that stone out. And then they add a little happy juice to the uh, IV to make the stone not hurt so much. And, uh, and uh, Solomon passes the stone and he feels so much better. And then he gets back in your car and you drive to the dentist. And uh, he goes in there with a horrible toothache and uh, the dentist uh, numbs his jaw and it stops hurting and then he gives him a filling and, and uh, Solomon's able to leave and you drive him home in your car and he uh, goes inside and it's air conditioned and so comfortable and uh, you are able to uh, cook him a meal on your stove and there's no smoke uh, pouring out from a fire or anything. It's just uh, your electric or gas stove. I don't know what you're using in your house, but you, you make him a nice meal, and, and you open him a bottle of Verner's out of your fridge, and it's the very best thing he's ever tasted in his whole life. And then you give him some ice cream out of the freezer for dessert, and, and that's a wonderful thing. And then after he's done with that, you show him how hot and cold running water work and you allow him to refresh himself in your shower. And he also gets to enjoy your other indoor plumbing. And uh, this is just marvelous stuff that he has never before seen in his life. And it's time for him then to travel back to 950 BC and he says, 
it has been such an incredible honor to visit an incredibly wealthy person like you and enjoy these unbelievable treasures that you are blessed with. It's just, I can't imagine it. Your chariot, uh, it, it even keeps people cool. And wow, you can, you can get treated for kidney stones and toothaches and, and you can cook without smoke filling the kitchen. And you just, it's so wonderful here. You guys are so blessed. I can't believe it. It's been a real honor to see your treasures. And he goes back to ancient Israel. And so by the standards of history and the standards of the world, we are incredibly wealthy. And uh, that's a blessing. But the problem is that our huge treasures draw our hearts toward earth and they tend to get trapped here like flies on flypaper. That we're stuck to the earth by the treasures that we have. And that's one reason why, as we look at the developed world, people in the developed world are becoming less and less interested in the things of God. When we were in Norway and we would tell people about Jesus Christ, um, it wasn't unusual for them to say, I have everything I need, why do I need God? And uh, it's a very common idea that we have in the developed world. Hey, I have what I need, I can get it for myself, I don't need God, I'm comfortable here, And uh, we have seen in our previous messages that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've got lots of treasures here. Our hearts are drawn here. And so we become captivated by the world we live in. Well, when the disciples heard that it was hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, they got really concerned. Verse 25 says, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Because the disciples thought, well, you know, I think that when someone is rich, it's a sign of God's blessing. And if a person's blessed, that means they're especially close to God. And so if all of these people who are especially close to God can't get into heaven, then how can an everyday, regular person like me get into heaven? And Jesus had comforting words for them in verse 26. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so it is impossible for us to earn our way into heaven. It's impossible for us to get there on our own. There's nothing we can do to get to heaven. No more than a camel can go through the eye of a needle. But Jesus can do what we cannot do for ourselves. He could take the burden of sin that we could not pay for and he could take it upon himself on the cross and he could pay for it in full. And he could live a life of perfect righteousness where he kept all of the commandments perfectly all the time for his entire life. 
and he's able to impute his righteousness to us, that he's able to justify us. He's able to make us righteous in God's sight as we're united with him by faith. And so Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We can not save ourselves, but Jesus can save us. We don't earn salvation by our own good works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, for by grace you've been saved by faith and that's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. But when God saves us without works and there's no good work we can do to be saved, he gives works to those he saves. And so in Ephesians 2, 10, He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so this man that had come to Jesus, he was confusing fruit and root. And he thought, I have to have a root of good works in order to gain the fruit of eternal life. And Jesus said, no, what you need is you need the gift of eternal life so that you can begin to bear the fruit of good works. And so, having shared that, then in Matthew 19, verse 27, Peter wondered then, uh, hey, uh, we have come to you and we have uh, done good works. Are our good works going to be rewarded? So it says, and Peter answered and said to him, see, we've left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And Jesus reassures Peter that he will indeed be rewarded. Verses 28 and 29, so Jesus said to them, assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And so Jesus promises that no one in the New Jerusalem is ever going to say, boy, you know, I wish I had sacrificed less while I was on earth in order to serve God. You know, I wish I hadn't been so nice to my next door neighbor when he was being mean to me because I loved God and wanted to show his character and uh, I wish I hadn't been so patient with my children, and I wish I, I wish I hadn't, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You can think anything that you do out of love for God, and the day will never come when you look back and say, wow, I wish I hadn't expressed my love for God in that way, because God is able to richly reward us. And so 
forever will be rejoicing. I'm glad I did this to serve God. I'm glad I did that to serve God. I'm glad I did that other thing to serve God because he has richly rewarded me far above my wildest dreams. He is not stingy with his rewards. So 2 Corinthians 4.17 tells us that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then Romans 8.18 tells us, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so any hardship we endure on behalf of God we'll never regret. If, um, if you could come to me and say, if you give me a penny today, I'll give you a million dollars a year from now, and you would really do it and weren't just pulling my leg, that would be a good investment. Uh, you know, one year and you go from a penny to a million dollars. Uh, that'd go a long way towards funding your retirement, wouldn't it? So, um, the things that we invest in the kingdom of heaven, we get a much better return on than a penny growing into a million dollars in a year. We experience much greater joy than we would get if we happen to have a million dollars and the joy will last forever and ever. But God is God of truth, and that truth includes truth in advertising. And so Jesus gives us verse 30 as well. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Verse 30 sounds kind of cryptic until we realize that it's the introduction to the parable of the workers in the vineyard in the next chapter, chapter 20. And um, the parable of the workers in a vineyard is really a message for another day, so I'm not going to go into it in detail. But um, I'm going to briefly summarize. A man went out and he hired some laborers to gather the grapes in his vineyard when they were ripe. He hired some of the laborers at 6 a.m. He hired some of them at 9 a.m. He hired some at 12 noon. He hired some at 3 p.m. And he hired some at 5 p.m. And at 6 p.m., he paid every single one of them a full day's wage. And those who worked 12 hours were upset because they'd worked 12 hours and they got the same pay as people who had worked for only one hour. But the owner replied that he had paid the first workers, the guys who worked 12 hours, he had paid them a fair wage. And he had paid those who worked less the same because he was generous. And so he gave those who he paid first what was fair, and he gave those he paid last what they needed because they were day laborers. And if they didn't come home with a full day's wage, they wouldn't be able to pay their, uh, feed their family. And so the owner graciously provided for those 
even though they only work part of the day. The same way someone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ one minute before they die, after leading an exorbitantly sinful life, is going to rejoice for all of eternity in heaven. Just like a young person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ as soon as they're old enough to understand the gospel and faithfully serves Jesus Christ all of their life under difficult circumstances and even is martyred for their faith, uh, they also spend all eternity with God in heaven. And so we've received God's grace even though we don't deserve it. And so we have no reason to complain when God extends that grace to other people who may seem to deserve it even less. And so what I'm about to say may be hard to hear, but if Hitler, if Stalin, if Mao, if Saddam Hussein, if Osama bin Laden had put their faith in Jesus Christ, in the last minute of their life, we would rejoice with them for all of eternity in the kingdom of heaven. And so, may many sinners like us be saved by grace, and may we never begrudge another sinner saved by grace. And so we've covered a lot of ground this morning All men are sinners and can only be saved as a gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Wealth may become a chain that can bind us to the world and leave us indifferent to the things of the kingdom of God. Every sacrifice for the kingdom of God will be ritually rewarded. God's grace to the greatest sinner may seem to overshadow even the reward of the greatest saint. And may each of us then trust in Jesus alone for salvation, escape the bondage of this world, lay up treasure in heaven, and rejoice in God's grace to even the greatest sinner. Let's close. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And as we come to your son in faith, may we eagerly share the good news about him with others. And Lord, may you fill our lives with good works, an expression of the new life you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves into your hands. Pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616 772-4377.